This show is a loose adaptation of the paper entitled I've Got Nothing to Hide and Other Misunderstandings of Privacy, written by Daniel J. Salove. A link to this and other information is available in the show notes. Alright, so I am Drake Newis, and we are going to be talking about privacy in a multi-part series that I've entitled Misunderstandings of Privacy, based largely on Daniel J. Salove's paper. So why is privacy important? Okay, great question. Well, like, um, you know, in 2005, the New York Times revealed that the Bush administration authorized the NSA to engage in warrantless wiretapping. And, uh, you know, I actually had a paper with these on them. Oh, there you go. Okay. In 2002, the media revealed that the Department of Defense was constructing a data mining project called Total Information Awareness, or TIA, under the leadership of Admiral John Poindexter. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. The vision of TIA was to gather a variety of information about people, you know, financial, education, health, other data like that. The information would be analyzed for suspicious patterns, and um, according to Mr. Uh, Poindexter, the only way to detect to detect terrorists... Well, this sentence doesn't even make sense. The only way to detect terrorists is to look for patterns of activity that are based on observations from the past, as well as estimates about how terrorists will adapt to avoid future measures of detection. Okay, great. However, you know, when this program came to uh, light, there was a you know, public outcry in the Senate that voted to deny the program any funding. In May 2006, USA Today broke the story that the NSA had obtained customer records from several major phone companies and was analyzing them for patterns, and this was quoted as being the largest database ever assembled, ever. That's a fairly large database, I suppose. In June 2006, the New York Times stated that the government had been accessing... Oh, this is actually my favorite that the government had been accessing bank records from the Society of Worldwide Intrabank Financial Transactions, or SWIFT, which handles financial transactions for, like, thousands of banks and stuff. All right, so many people were outraged at these announcements, and that's kind of the point, but um, others weren't. They didn't see a problem, and the reason they didn't see a problem, as they explained, was because I've got nothing to hide. Wow, what a brilliant argument. No privacy problem exists if the person has nothing to hide. Super, absolutely super. And that is the point of this particular show, and actually this little mini-series of shows, is why the nothing-to-hide argument is has some issues. So, you know, looking at the nothing-to-hide argument, when the government engages in surveillance, there is no threat to privacy unless the government uncovers unlawful activity, in which case the person really has no legitimate claim to uh, justify why the unlawful activity should remain private. Thus, if an individual engages only in legal activity, they have nothing to worry about. A common example, right, is suppose the government examines telephone records and finds out that the person, you know, made calls to, you know, their parents, a friend in Canada, a bank, a pizza place, you know, so what, the person might say. I'm not embarrassed or humiliated by this information. If anybody asks me, I will gladly tell them where I shop. I have nothing to hide. The nothing to hide argument and its variants are quite prevalent in popular discourse about privacy. Uh, security expert Bruce Schneier calls it the most common retort against privacy advocates. Nothing to hide argument is possibly the primary argument made when balancing privacy against security. Sometimes nothing to hide argument is posed as a question like, um, if you have nothing to hide, then what do you have to fear? Or, uh, if you are doing anything wrong, then what do you have to hide? Well, here I'm going to take you on a journey of exploring the land of the nothing to hide argument and the various issues that it raises. And don't kid yourself, grappling with the nothing to hide argument is very important because the argument reflects the sentiments of, like, you know, a wide percentage of the population. Unlike with most people, the nothing to hide argument's superficial incantations can, like, readily be refuted. 
But when the argument is actually made in its strongest form, it's extremely formidable. Like, um, in order to respond to the nothing to hide argument, it's imperative that we have a theory about what privacy is and why it's valuable. Because really, at its core, the nothing to hide argument emerges from the conception of privacy and its value. You know, what is privacy? You know, how do we assess its value? How do we weigh it against other values like national security? Uh, these are actually questions that have long plagued people who have, you know, philosophized. <laughs> okay, philosophized not a word. But people, you know, philosophers about privacy and those trying to develop a theory and justifications for privacy's legal protection. Like in Britain, for example, uh, the government has, you know, millions of CCTV cameras. And the slogan for this program, which is actually, this is a funny slogan, is, if you've got nothing to hide, then you've got nothing to fear. In the United States, there was this one um, anonymous individual from the Department of Justice, I think it was, who commented that if the government needs to read my emails, so be it. I had nothing to hide. Do you? And if you look online, you'll find you know people on blogs who say things such as, I don't mind people wanting to find out things about me. I've got nothing to hide, which is why I support President Bush's efforts to find terrorists by monitoring our phone calls. Great. Fantastic statement. Variations of the nothing to hide argument frequently appear in like blogs, letters to the editor, television interviews, you know, any time that people can express their opinion to a mass audience, you tend to find variation of the argument. Um, some examples include uh, some examples include I don't have anything to hide from the government. I don't think I had much hidden from the government in the first place. I don't think they care if I talk about my annoying coworker. Or do I care if the FBI monitors my phone calls? I have nothing to hide. Neither does 99.99% of the population. If wiretapping stops just one of the September 11th incidents, thousands of lives are saved. Or let's see. Like I said, I have nothing to hide. The majority of the American people have nothing to hide. And those that have something to hide should be found out and get what they have coming to them. Great. Now, this is nothing new, you know. I mean, there's a character in this novel by Henry James that was written in 1888. It was called The Reverberator. And the character goes, If these people had done bad things, they ought to be ashamed of themselves, and he couldn't pity them. And if they hadn't done them, there was no need of making such a rumpus about other people knowing. But uh, if you actually do look on these blogs, you see... Oh, where that paper go? But there are some fantastic comebacks to some of these, like, um... So do you have curtains? Can I see your credit card bills for the last year? I don't need to justify my position. You need to justify yours. Come back with a warrant. I don't have anything to hide, but I don't have anything I feel like showing you either. If you have nothing to hide, then you have no life. Show me yours, I'll show you mine. It's not about having anything to hide. It's about things not being anyone else's business. Oh, this is kind of my favorite. Bottom line, Joe Stalin would have loved it. What more should anyone have to say? Okay. So looking at those comebacks, it's on the surface, it's kind of to dismiss the nothing to hide argument. Is this thing not recording correctly? All right. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, on the surface, it's easy to dismiss the argument, right? Because everybody has something they want to hide from somebody. There's actually this novella by this guy, Frederick, God, what's his last name? Dermat, I think it is, called Traps. It's kind of an old novella, but if you're into novellas, you probably recognize it. And it involves a seemingly innocent dude who's put on trial by this group of, like, retired lawyers for this mock trial game. And the man inquires, you know, what his crime shall be for the trial game. And the prosecutor responds, In altogether minor matter, a crime can always be found. One can usually think of something compelling that even the most open person would want to hide. Like, um, 
if you have nothing to hide, then um, you know that quite literally means that you're willing to let me photograph you naked, and then I get full rights to the photo, so I can show it to your friends and neighbors, coworkers, etc. You know, most people would kind of have a problem with that. Canadian privacy expert David Flathurst, oh, I'm just murdering his name, expresses a similar idea when he argues that there is no sentient human being in the Western world who has little or no regard for his or her own personal privacy. Those who would attempt such claims cannot withstand even a few minutes questioning about intimate aspects of their lives without caving to the intrusiveness of certain subject matters. However, these responses kind of only attack the nothing to hide argument in like its most extreme form, which is not particularly strong. Um, as a simple one-liner about a person's preference, you know, I personally have nothing to hide, that, that argument's not very compelling because you can't exactly attack a person's you know, personal preference. However, if you kind of go so far as to say that nothing to hide argument kind of means that's okay for the government to infringe on the rights of potentially millions of like innocent people, possibly ruining their lives in the process, that's kind of like saying that um, I have nothing to hide basically equates to I don't care what happens so long as it doesn't happen to me, which is you know kind of an interesting take on it. But uh, it's actually really more compelling to make the argument in general. So let's say that um, if you said that only peop only the people who desire to conceal unlawful activity should be concerned, you can argue that people engaged in legal conduct have no legitimate claim to maintaining, you know, the privacy of such activities anyway. But the argument is actually really more compelling if you make it, like, more generally. So if you say that people who, um, that the only people that actually, you know, desire privacy are those who are trying to conceal unlawful activity, and you can argue that people engaged in illegal conduct, you know, have no rights to conceal that type of activity anyway. Um, there's actually a related comment by Judge Richard Posner, who contends, when people today decree lack of privacy, what they really want, I think, is mainly something quite different from seclusion. They want more power to conceal information about themselves that others might use to their disadvantage. Okay, so if you consider that, then privacy is likely to be invoked when there is information that is discreditable or that is negative that someone would want to um, conceal. And the judge, uh, Richard Posner, actually asserts that the law should not protect people concealing discreditable information, and he considers people like, um, you know, child molesters. Like, like, let's say you're a convicted child molester, right, and you spent, like, time in jail. You generally shouldn't be able to conceal this from, like, you know, a daycare if you're trying to apply a daycare. Or um, sellers who are trying to sell defective products generally should not have the privacy rights to conceal that the product is, you know, defective. And, of course, you could say that, you know, there is non-discreditable information that someone would want to conceal, you know, purely because it's embarrassing or they just don't want others to know. And in a less extreme form, the nothing to hide argument does not actually even refer to personal information at all, but it's only a subset of personal information that is likely to be involved in government surveillance. What I mean exactly is that governments don't necessarily care about every aspect of your life. Like if you're, you know, if you have some kind of strange hobby, or like you cry during some movie, or you know, something all embarrassing about you. That, that's not really what the government cares about. When people say that they have nothing to hide from data mining or surveillance, the more sophisticated way of understanding their argument is that they don't have a problem with disclosing those particular pieces of information that the government is interested in. You know, most people don't have a problem with giving up their phone records because, you know, a phone... Fo Damn it. What the hell was this? Oh, right. When people say they don't have a problem with disclosing the more sophisticated way of understanding what they're trying to say is that they don't have a problem with disclosing those little pieces of information that the government happens to be interested in. Like, um, when, you know, when the government wants phone numbers or even what is said in the conversation, it's not likely to be that that is particularly embarrassing or discreditable to the average law-abiding citizen. 
Um, so the, the witty retorts to the nothing to hide argument about, you know, oh, so if you, if you have nothing to hide, then I suppose I can have naked photos of you and put them all over the internet, you know, revealing your deepest, darkest secrets to all of your friends. That's not the, of the best argument because it's really only relevant if the government was actually going to be engaging in some type of surveillance that might result in the, the disclosure of that type of personal information. Uh, okay, and even if it were, devil's advocate, right? So the government is collecting, you know, thousands of naked photos of everyone for whatever reason. Many people can rationally assume that the government will expose this information only to a few trained law enforcement officials. Or, or okay, maybe not from people at all, right? It could just be computers that are, you know, storing and analyzing the data for patterns. Or, and, and really, you can argue that the electronic collection of vast amounts of personal data is not really an invasion of privacy at all. A, a computer looking for obvious patterns... Uh, keeps most private data from being read by any intelligent person anyway. There is actually one more compelling version of the nothing to hide argument, and that is a comparison of the value of privacy versus the uh, value of promoting security. You can't talk about how people feel about the potential loss of privacy in any meaningful way without recognizing that most people who don't mind the NSA programs see it as a potential exchange of a small amount of privacy for a large personal gain. So in other words, nothing to hide argument can be made by comparing the value of privacy versus security. So, and, and in this situation, privacy is relatively low because the information is not particularly sensitive. You know, phone calls, you know, uh, product purchases, those, things like that. They're not extremely sensitive pieces of information. Unless, of course, uh, you're engaged in some kind of legal conduct, in which case you don't really have any, as the argument argues, you don't really have any right to protect that illegal activity anyway. And on the government side, the security interest is very high compared to the low privacy problem because having a computer analyze phone numbers that one person dials is not likely to expose anyone's deepest or darkest secrets to the you know, vast public. The machine is simply you know, looking for any obvious patterns and will move on oblivious if you're not doing anything that seems suspicious. So in other words, the argument goes, if you are not doing anything wrong, you do not have anything to hide, so you have nothing to fear. Okay, ergo, in its most compelling form, the nothing to hide argument is as follows. And where is this brilliantly drafted argument? The NSA surveillance, data mining, and other government information gathering programs will result in the disclosure of particular pieces of information to a few government officials, or perhaps only to government computers. This very limited disclosure of the particular information involved is not likely to be threatening to the privacy of law-abiding citizens. Only those who are engaged in illegal activities have reason to hide this information. Although there may be some cases in which the information may be sensitive or embarrassing to law-abiding citizens, the limited disclosure lessens the threat to privacy. Moreover, the security interest in detecting, investigating, and preventing terrorist attacks is very high and outweighs whatever minimal or moderate privacy interests law-abiding citizens may have in these particular pieces of information. Okay, so put that way. The argument is actually extremely formidable because it balances the um, you know person's right to privacy against national security issues, and it's extremely hard to argue for privacy in this particular situation. And for quite some time, you know, a lot of scholars and like you know philosophizers, I like that word. I'm, I'm, I'm going to coin philosophizers as being an actual word. So scholars and philosophizers have proclaimed that privacy is such a muddled concept anyway that it's of little use to anybody. And there is this one quote by this guy, Human Ross, who declares that the concept of privacy is infected with pernicious ambiguities. Colin Burnett similarly notes that attempts to define the concept of privacy have generally, been, have generally not been met with any success. 
and Robert Poss declares that I love this quote. Privacy is a value so complex, so entangled in competing and contrary dimensions, so engorging with various and distinct meanings, that sometimes I despair whether it can usefully be addressed to anybody at all. You know, you get a lot of, like, you know, jurists, politicians, scholars, philosophers, who simply analyze the issues without articulating any conception of what privacy actually means. However, conceptualizing privacy is actually essential to analyzing these issues. And in many cases, privacy never actually gets balanced out against conflicting interests because courts, legislators, and so on, often fail to recognize that privacy is even being implicated. Ergo, it's of paramount importance that we devote more time to developing a conception of privacy, what it is, and what its value is. But how? Why have existing attempts been so unsatisfying? Well, in the next part of my little mini-series, we are going to take a look at the various methods of conceptualizing privacy and looking at how over time the conception of privacy has changed with certain societal memes. Super. And until then, if you prefer more information that is not basically me just rambling on about privacy and you like nice concise arguments in the form of a nice white paper, then I suggest you look at the paper entitled I've Got Nothing to Hide and Other Misunderstandings of Privacy, written by Daniel J. Slove. A link to that is available in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments for me personally, you can email me at drakeanubis at gmail.com. Or I have a fantastic blog filled with wondrous information that dazzles... Uh, that's definitely funny. But um, drakeanubis.com if you have some time to kill. And all right, let's go ahead and lead out. All right, and we're out? We're good? Okay. Did you notice that on the... I could have sworn that I was watching on the scope, right? The thing was hanging like the buffer size was too high. Did you notice that it was dropping anything during the recording? No. And, I don't, I, maybe it was just because like, the array mic's freaking out because all the noise from these little pieces of paper. I don't know what I was thinking, right? Putting the uh, quotes and shit on the back of the little pieces of paper. It's, it's, the levels are jumping all over the place. Well, no, dude, I would buy a decent mic, but I never have an excuse to use one. I mean, it's like... Okay, so a nice mic setup from like eBay is gonna be like what, eighty bucks or something like that. You know, that kind of money I can buy like a you know a cheap ass cell phone jammer from like China Beijing, and that's way more entertaining. Well, I, I don't know, I, right? Because I do radio shows so often that it, <laughs> I don't have enough. Time. I barely have time for this. I'm just being nice.